0: All right, 1 Thessalonians. All right, this is what uh, what most scholars believe was the first New Testament book actually penned. All right, chronologically, the Gospels would, would come first, but this, most scholars believe, was the first actual New Testament book penned. It was written by the Apostle Paul, and he visited the church in Thessalonica, and he found great response to the Gospel. He brought the Gospel, people responded, Um, They also met great persecution, and the new Christians there met that persecution with great joy, it says in 1 Thessalonians. And they grew, a church was established, and Paul began teaching and instructing them in the ways of Christ and what it means to be a believer and teaching them doctrinally. However, uh, persecution rose in Thessalonica, and Paul was forced to flee before he was able to finish the basic instructions – that he desired to teach them. Um, persecution was so great that people actually left Thessalonica chasing Paul from, from city to city. So there was a, a pretty abrasive response to Paul, but um, arguably the, the the quickest success that Paul ever found in any in in given city. So he was actually physically in Thessalonica anywhere from only a couple weeks to just a couple months. So there, a pretty short period of time. As he left... Um, He went to Colossae, where he stayed for about a year and a half, um, and he later wrote to the Colossians, but while he was in Colossae, he wrote back to the Thessalonians to clarify uh, some teaching, to continue to encourage them in the gospel, to remind them of what God has done, and then to really finish some of the instruction that he wasn't able to teach. So we look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, and just as an outline, we see... um, basically two pieces all right the first piece is chapters one two and three where it's really a narrative all right paul is really kind of retelling the story of their conversion and giving god the glory and giving god the credit there's very little if any actual instruction so look at chapter one verse four first thessalonians chapter one verse four we see here that paul says for we know brothers loved by god that he has chosen you Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. For you know what kind of men that we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And so you became an example to all. And so we see that this is Paul really kind of telling the story that they already know because they were there. They experienced it. It's their conversion. But Paul is retelling the story and giving the glory to God. We see in chapter two, verse five. Paul goes on to, to speak of their, uh, from speaking of their conversion to really giving somewhat of a defense for himself, because there were some in Thessalonica who um, were a little put off at Paul's quick departure, and they were questioning, "Wait a minute! If you're this man of God, if you're a righteous man, and then how did you did you leave us high and dry? Why did you why did you run?" away from this persecution. And Paul offers a defense for himself. In chapter 2, verse 5, he says, We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, and God is our witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And he goes on to an even more description of how he behaved himself and how it was above reproach. Paul was so concerned about the Thessalonians that he actually sent Timothy to go back and check on them. So if you look in chapter 3 verse 6 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 6 he says, "But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you." For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction that we have been comforted about you through your faith. So this is really Paul just offering the narrative, offering the story, giving God the credit um, for the things that God has done in Thessalonica through the work of Paul. And then at the end of this section, he offers a, a prayer, really a benediction, which is, which is an ending of this portion of scripture. So at the end of chapter 3, in verse 11, we see his prayer. And he says, now... Again, 1 Thessalonians 3.11. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So the first half of this chapter is really a telling of the story as a narrative. The second half of the chapter is where the instruction comes in on righteous living and the (coughs) doctrine— the second coming of Christ so in chapter 4 verse 2 1 Thessalonians 4 2 he says for you know what instruction that we gave to you through our Lord Jesus Christ for this is the will of God your sanctification we talked about that that you abstain from sexual immorality so he addresses the issue of sexual immorality in the church uh, because it was very prominent and prevalent within the culture so he offers instruction there he continues in, in chapter 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, and he goes on to talk about what the life of the believer should look like in the context of community in the body of Christ, that we are supposed to behave and treat each other differently, specifically, intentionally within the body of Christ, offering further instruction there. And then we see in chapter uh, 4 still, in verse 13, he moves into away from instruction on righteous living to actually finishing up A doctrinal teaching that was incomplete. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, chapter 4, verse 13, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Jump down to verse 15. He says, for this we declare to you by word from the Lord. And we see this theme throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians where he is saying, as you already know, as you already are doing. And then he shifts that theme at the end of chapter four, into new information. We don't want you to be uninformed, so let us fill it in for you. All right? There was misunderstanding about the second coming of Christ, and if you have been a part of the series all along, you know that we've been teaching about it. But if you're if you're new or you've missed a couple weeks, that's fine. But the first the the first Thessalonians, <laughs> the Thessalonians, um, had a, a great misunderstanding about the second coming of Christ, which would just tear your heart out. I mean, they thought that if you died, then you were going to go to hell, that, that you had to be alive to actually be present for the second coming of Christ. And there were believers within that church who had died and they were mourning and they were weeping for those who like those who have no hope. And Paul was coming and saying, listen, and he gives instruction about the second coming of Christ and that the dead in Christ will rise first and it will meet them together and we'll be with the Lord together uh, for all of eternity. So he adds a lot of great hope. Um, and joy and clarity on the second coming of Christ. Um, and, this, and this is the text that most people go to in, in, in funerals of believers. So it's a great uh, cornerstone text for, for the life of a believer. So what we have is the first part, one through three, is this narrative, and the second part is instruction in doctrine and righteous living. And where we're at today is where the second half of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So... Go there, First uh, Thessalonians five, twelve. In a sense, this is continuing instructions, um, but it, it's Paul handles this text differently than every other piece of First Thessalonians. So uh, that's where our discussion is going to be this morning. So let's read that together first. First Thessalonians five, twelve through the end of the chapter. I'm reading in the ESV here. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it, brothers. Pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now there are there are really two ways to look at this text. The first way to look at this text, uh, verses twelve through twenty eight, is simply a standalone text. If you were to kind of Erase all of 1 Thessalonians and just take this block of text and understand that it is um, inspired, that it is from God, that Paul is the author, and say, what does this text right here speak to me? What is this designed, what was this written for as it pertains to me in Mount Pleasant in 2015? Um, There's good stuff here, valuable stuff here, Uh, righteous living kind of stuff here. Um, and so what we, what we could do is we could say, I don't know if you picked up on it, but there are there's, there's a machine gun effect here of 20 different commands. Did you pick up on that? Um, respect those who labor among you. Um, esteem them highly. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with, with them. Don't repay evil for evil. Do good to one another. Rejoice. Did you see that theme? Pray without ceasing. Don't quench the spirit. Uh, uh, don't despise prophecy. Do everything, uh, but test everything. Hold to what is good. I mean, it's just the boom, 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 boom. And they're not really all that connected. I mean, they're good, but we could, we could take that series and just say, hmm, how do we handle this? Why don't we start now a 20 part series? All right. And we're going to start with uh, Respect Those Who Labor un- Among You. All right. Series number one. All right. This is going to take us through next year sometime. Um, so I mean we, we could do that and we would be discussing good biblical things but the second way to look at this text is to look at it in the context of the letter that it's written in, in the flow of the letter I mean re- letters are written in a certain way they're started with introductions and en- they end with conclusions and this text is found at the tail end it is a firing of several different commands, admonitions imperatives uh, there really aren't descriptions or examples or clarifications. Like it doesn't really unpack what it means to help the weak. It just says help the weak and then it moves on. It doesn't say why they need to be told that. And so we need to look at this text as it is, as a piece of scripture, but also in the context of the letter that it's the it's the conclusion. It's it's the end. And so we need to ask ourselves, what, what, is it, what does a conclusion typically look like in any given letter, whether it's ancient or modern. Conclusions don't typically include new information or new instruction. Um, typically, a conclusion will in- include a recap or a reminder in a departing word from the author that he specifically wants his audience to go away with. So whether you're giving a speech and you wrap up your speech like boom, this is the point, or you're writing a letter and say, of all these things, be reminded of this, or whether you're in a conversation and you're wrapping up the things that you're saying. And so when we look at it in that context, we need to take the body of all of this, this firing of commands and say, is there, is there a theme in this, or there are a couple themes in this, but where is Paul going in the context of this whole letter, and why is he choosing to conclude with these specific commands to this specific audience? And so, as the conclusion here, we see that Paul really is offering a series of imperatives, commands to the believers that are in Thessalonica an encouragement to continue in what they're doing, an encouragement to be steadfast, an admonition to godliness, and an emphasis on the really important, ultimately, the fundamentals. He's not offering new information. He's not saying something that is all that profound. He's not finishing up doctrines uh, that were previously uh, confused, they were confused by, and he's not even really calling them out for specific sins that were going on. It's an emphasis on the really important things that they need to continue to work on, that they need to continue to stick to and be committed to. And with this in mind, I think just to pause for a second, um, we do this in, in our everyday conversation. Now, I know a few people in here are committed to written letters. I'm not. <laughs> okay? Um, unless it's to my wife. And then I'll write her some letters sometimes. Um, but it's not like, hmm, I wonder how my mom or dad are doing, you know? You know, ink. <laughs> <laughs> Dear mother, you know? I mean back in the day, you know, if you're writing a letter and it's and it's gonna go through the mail and it's not gonna get to them for, you know, I mean, we're talking way back in the day, it might be a couple of weeks. Like your 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 letter was truly a retelling of of of, of how things are going, and you're asking questions, and your and your words are chosen pretty carefully and, and pretty specifically. And even more so, I believe, uh, the the conclusion. Um, just in Just as a couple uh, pseudo silly examples, you know, if if you're a coach and it's halftime and the football team is in the locker room and you're, and if you think of that locker room talk, I'm I'm making a silly example here, but like the letter, you know, you're going to address the things that just happened, right? In the first quarter, you're going to address the things that you did wrong. You know, you're going to encourage the things that you did right and you're going to review and you're going to go over, all right, this is our plan. And the final words of a coach as they're all running out onto the field is likely going to be, go get them. You know, Give them all you got. You know, Remember the plan. You know, it's not, they're not running out there. And they're not saying, OK, hey, final instructions. Don't forget to run the play that you haven't practiced yet. Like, no, that happened earlier. You know, he's reviewing. He's giving them the final charge, the final courage, really to go do the fundamentals well. To go out and give it your all. Go out and take the things that you're supposed to prioritize and prioritize them right now. That's my final charge, my final word to you. And all of us here, when we've gone to visit our parents, and and you're leaving, whether you're in a car or in an airplane, likely your parents have probably said something like, you know, be safe, you know, Mm -hmm. travel safe. And it's, again, it's one of those things where you might kind of say, like, okay, mom, like, I'm not going to go out and, like, to be dangerous, <laughs> um, like you think I might try to do, but <clears throat> it's, it's it's not new information. You know how to be safe. You know how to give it your all on the field, but it's that final charge, that final admonition that if you're actually writing it in a letter, you might add clarities to that be safe, like stay alert on the road, all right, make sure that you're the offensive driver, not the defensive driver, because you don't know what other people are doing. You know, don't speed. Be careful if it's raining. You know, my mom and dad, my, my, my mom and dad were um, driving down the road. My dad said this to me, like, this last Thanksgiving. He recalled <laughs> the time where he and my mom were driving down the road and going a little bit over the speed limit, but it was raining, um, and their car lost control, and they were the 360 thing. And um, and kind of by God's grace and His mercy, you know, they didn't they didn't hit anybody or run off the road or hit oncoming traffic, and they you know car came to a stop in the opposite direction, and they were able to turn it around and, and keep going. But my since my dad had that experience, it's always it's not just to be safe, but like be careful if it's raining, you know, be careful how you're driving, you know, if you're if you're if you're flying, you know, be careful who you're who you're talking to or whatever it is. But it's a lot more meaning, and it's a bunch of things that you already know, but it's a charge from a concerned person. To somebody that they love, and they're saying, "Listen, I care about you, and remember the things that you ought to remember for your own sake of growth and safety." That makes sense. Um, you know, even with Evie, our two and a half year old, she's a two year old. She's dealing with two year old stuff, and uh, you know, she's struggling with the obedience thing. And so we have, you know, if you've been over to our house, we have this, we have some papers on the wall with smiley faces and frowny faces, and Obedience and um, and punishments and all those things, and so we use the word obedience and we use the word disobedience. And there are sometimes when I leave in the morning, and I kiss her goodbye and I say I love you and I say, make sure you obey your mother. You know, she knows that, she understands that. That's not really uh, new information or something that she needs clarity on. But I'm saying, listen, I want you to take this information. And I want you to put on the front of your mind as I'm as I'm concluding and as as I'm leaving. And that's really what Paul's doing. Here is he's giving a final charge to the Thessalonians of what it means to be a believer in the context of the body of Christ because those things need to, need to be one and the same. So, what do we see in this list of imperatives? I want to argue that we see three themes in this firing of 20 different commands. Go back to verse 12. The first theme, I think, that we see here is in verses 12 and 13. He says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them highly in love because of their work. The beginning of of verse 13 there. And what Paul is calling the Thessalonians to do there is to respect and esteem their elders. And Paul, in his teaching and Paul, in his establishment of the church, wasn't just the senior pastor in this little tiny body and then uh, received persecution and, and left town, he established leadership. We see that in the book of Acts. And there are actually leaders that are named in the book of Acts, speaking of those in Thessalonica. And so Paul, in his teaching and training, was setting them up to succeed on their own and not to not be dependent on, on him as the Apostle Paul. So there's established leadership. Leadership within this church, and he's calling them to do something that they already know that they ought to do to follow your leaders and esteem them highly. The body of Christ, this is again, this is something that we all know, but it, it, it we all need to be reminded that the body of Christ is not just a gathering together of, of like minded people, it is a gathering together of like minded people, but we're not just. A, a, a corporate group that, that kind of follows the trend of the group, you know? We're not, we're not just a group that follows um, the voice of a, of a few loud people. That the body of Christ is, is the place that God has established for his children to find community and to grow. And for God to show himself to the world through the church. So in that context, God has established leadership within that church. And it, it, it is a high calling that we see throughout Scripture. In the book of Hebrews chapter 13, the author of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. And that is not a flippant statement. That is not one of those things where it, it's, it's figurative. Because it goes on to say, they are watching over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Which means that at the judgment seat of Christ, if you're a Christian, we will all have to give an account to how we lived in the name of the gospel. All of us. We will have to give an account. But for those that are called the Christian leadership, we'll have to give an account for a list of names. Because souls are not nameless. Okay, And that is a high calling. And there, there, is a, there is a higher level of expectation and accountability given by God for those people that are leading the very place that God has established to make his name great. It makes sense. And so for, for Paul at the end of 1 Thessalonians to spend a few of these imperatives saying, listen, listen to your elders, listen to your leaders, those that will have to give an account for your soul to God the Father Almighty at the final day. Let them, in, back in Hebrews, it says, let them, meaning the leaders, do this with great joy and not with groaning, meaning groaning because of you or your attitude or the way that you behave. For that would be of no advantage to you. So the author of Hebrews is saying that it is of great advantage to listen to the leaders of the body of Christ in which you are a part of and a part of that family, that local family. So we see in, verse, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13 a theme of listening to your leaders. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Verse 13, and to esteem them highly in love because of their work. That's the first of these three themes. The second theme, if you look in verse 13, the second half through 15, says... Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, and see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So what we see here is a series of commands again, but it speaks to the actual community within the body of Christ. And this is speaking to us as a microcosm within the young adult group, but as a macrocosm as a part of East Cooper Baptist Church. I don't believe that Paul here is writing to necessarily the universal church because he's writing the letter to a local church. And he's saying this is the way that you actually, relationally, socially, spiritually, one-on-one, eye contact, conversation, body language relate to each other as part of the body of Christ says, be at peace among yourselves. And again, this is, this is no duh kind of stuff. This isn't like, oh, wow. I didn't know that I was supposed to be behaving that way. But he's calling them at the conclusion of his letter to behave the way that Christians are to behave within a family. Because over and over he, here, he refers to them as brothers. In all, in all the, the biblical language, help texts that I have. It says that it's speaking to that more plural brothers and sisters, meaning that those are believers in Christ. Because the New Testament makes a big deal out of both men and women believers. So be at peace among yourselves. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. It's impossible to be patient with somebody who is super easy <laughs> and who you get along with all the time and who has an easy spirit and who always has a good attitude. Um, and those kind of people are the, are the easy friends, aren't they? We all have this, those kind of people. Um, but this I think that this is a very specific call to be the body of Christ to people who aren't always easy. To be the body of Christ to people who are struggling within the body of Christ. To be the body of Christ to people who have wronged you and actually sinned against you. It says don't repay evil for evil assuming that evil has been done to you by somebody else within the body of Christ. And that happens here. I know of people in this group who have been offended by other people in this group. I've probably offended you. If I haven't, I'll wait a little while, you know? (laughs) And I'll try real hard, you know? (laughs) But don't repay evil for evil, you know? Um, But what it's saying is we're sinners. We're broken, you know? We have our bad days. We assume wrong things about each other. There are people in here that we might not maybe don't like, but you don't like. For whatever reason, maybe it's the vibe that they give, maybe it's the team that they pull for, maybe... It's, a, it's 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 maybe it's a way that they treated you maybe it's a way they mistreated you it's happened and it will happen and it will happen for the rest of your life but there's a specific holy call to the body of Christ that we we're family here you know it's probably nothing more heartbreaking whenever you hear a story and hopefully this hasn't happened in your family but it probably has in some of your families but it's it's always heartbreaking when you hear that story of two family members that haven't spoken for. Weeks or months or years. And you kind of go through this, you know, how could it be that bad? You know, how, I mean, what, what happened? And how can we make sure that doesn't happen in our family? But, but in the body of Christ, it's, I think it's even easier than that. You know, we're kind of in a big group. I don't really like you. But what this is saying is it says, Go out of your way in the name of the gospel and by the power of the Holy Spirit to be at peace among yourselves. Address your issues. Tell someone if they've offended you. It says to be bold here. Admonish the idol. Meaning the person who is not doing in their faith. Acting in their faith. Pushing themselves in their faith. And you know, you know what that takes? That takes relationship. It takes, it takes knowing somebody beyond, I recognize you because we go to the same Sunday school class. I said it before, but I mean I don't I don't think that you can encourage the faint-hearted unless you you give a rip about them. And I mean and I mean give a rip about them more than Of course I think I do believe that we all in here have a general care for each other, but there are certain people that you care for in this group more than others. And that as as a body, as a family, we're called to develop that further so that those people that you care about in the name of the gospel is, is growing and that we are growing stronger and that Christ works through us more and that we represent him better by the, by the way that we act. They will know we are Christians by the way we treat each other. Seek to do good for each other. This demands community. And again, I'm thankful that God's providence I feel great privilege in being your young adult pastor, and that that part of my job is is not only to do my best at teaching the Word, but trying to build a community, and that's why we do community groups, but it's also why we do Connect, you know? It's also why we do the retreat. You know, last Thursday at Connect, um, we gathered at our place, and we sang some songs around the fire. I mean, that sounds a little, you know, (laughs) kumbaya, you know. Um, But I mean, there was a sweet time of prayer. There's a lot of laughter. Um, We didn't have a, you know, we didn't all say, all right, crack open your Bibles and hit Bible study, but there was community there. It was fun and it was sweet and people got to know each other. I mean, you could kind of go on and on with other opportunities, but that's why we're doing those things. I mean, it's important to have community within your community group. I believe that's a necessity. Um, but but to, to build that, to grow that, says that your life is centered in the body of Christ. And that is a significant part of your of your t- of your of your time, of your friend group. Not not the only part, but but a significant part, because think about it. In in Thessalonica, um, there was debauchery and, and idol worship and um, all sorts of accepted uh, immorality. Just I mean truly I mean the body of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, um, abstain from, from sexual immorality, um, meaning that there was sexual immorality within the body of Christ. Um, so it was, it was one of those things that had to be addressed, but I mean, that's – it was a – that, that we are to be, to be planted with, with this body, not just attending, but that, that we're planted here in this body. So that's the second theme. The first was following and respecting and esteeming your leaders. The second is how believers treat each other within the body of Christ. And the third theme that we see in verses 16 through 22 says this, Rejoice, verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God, in Christ Jesus, for you, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Now, up to this point, all of these imperatives have been have been plural, as in as in you all, and it continues to be so. So, this is speaking to what uh, really corporate worship looks like. Again, in verse sixteen, rejoice. Always pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Test the things that you are hearing. And hold fast to what is good and abstain from every sort of evil. That We see, we see a list of imperatives as it relates to the corporate worship. And, it, and, the, and these things obviously relate to your personal walk with Christ. But more specifically, it's speaking to us in the plural. Now, these are very broad statements. Some statements that over the course of the centuries, people have said, this is impossible. (laughs) Rejoice always. Who can physically do that? Pray without ceasing. Really? So every word that comes out of my mouth has to be some sort of a prayer. Now, these are are general statements that, that say we are supposed to be about these things as a body that we are supposed to rejoice always in good times and bad times, in in, in great success spiritually, in times when we are being brutally persecuted. Rejoice in all. Pray without ceasing. Don't give that up. Give thanks in all circumstances, good and bad. Do not quench the Holy Spirit or despise prophecies. Make sure you test everything. (laughs) Paul is ending his letter with a call to go strong in the basics along obedience. Now, when we look at these three themes, obeying your leaders, how believers treat each other within the body of Christ, and what your corporate worship ought to be about, I, I was asking myself questions about these imperatives. Um, and, and I think that there is part of our, our sinful nature that always wants to buck these things specifically. Leadership, loving each other, and being about the things you're supposed to be about. I mean, isn't that just a consistent difficulty? I mean, if you look at, at childhood and adolescence, it's always kind of bucking your parents. If you look at you know your school years, it's kind of bucking the teachers and maybe the coach that you don't agree with or the principal that has it out for you. Um, and it seems like when you get into beyond all of that you, you kind of buck the, the, the policeman that pulls you over or the man who taxes you at a higher rate than you you think or um, our politicians are just you know corrupt and just you don't like that and there's always this sense uh, continuously maybe it's your, your boss at work who, who doesn't like you um, this and that I, I have a better plan. I know the way things ought to be. If I were in charge, I would do this, and I'm not going to obey this because I think this is the right thing to do. But there's just this continual, and it just lasts through life. It lasts through it lasts through uh, your working career. It happens in your family, um, this continual bucking of, of leadership. But there's a strong principle throughout all of Scripture, whether it's spiritual leadership, familial leadership, church leadership, and even government leadership, that God says I establish that. Even the unbelieving governor wields the sword in my name, God says in Romans 13. And that I have ordained him for the sake of my purposes. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And it's a problem for Christians. Of course it's a problem for everybody, but it's specifically a problem for Christians. And we see this in the church. We see people all the time who are upset at pastors or who leave or who don't like this or that. And pastors are not without fault, not without sin, and are not to be in places where they're not held accountable. But even as a staff member, there are several pastors on staff, and I'm not in the upper tier. We kind of have an executive staff, and I'm not one of those guys. And there are times when I I battle this. There are times when I've been called out appropriately. You kind of need to know your place, Danny. Danny. Because I, I get myself and I think, you know what, I, I know the vibe better. you know I This is the way things ought to be. Why are you doing things that way? And it's sinful. And it's wrong. And we all have to re- be reminded of these things because it's a human tendency to buck leadership. It's also a human tendency to not love each other. <laughs> you know, It's easy to love the people you love. It's easy to love your friends. But that's not what the text is talking about here. The text is talking about Loving the difficult person. Loving the one that needs to be patient. You need to be patient with. Loving the weak. Loving the faint-hearted. Admonishing the idle. Stepping outside of your comfort zones. Stepping outside of your, 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 your normal interactions for the sake of the body. And every single one of us needs to be pushed to do that because we don't default to that. There's a word that I hate. I hate it. It's the word click. <laughs> you know? And especially doing, you know, student ministry stuff for all those years. People were like, you know, all oh, the clicks, you know, and it was just like, ugh. Like, but it's, I mean, you see it in adults, you see it in parents, you see it in families. You see it in the senior adults. <laughs> okay? You see it here. Okay? It's it's because it's human nature. It's not this group of people who have made the, the emphatic decision of saying, hmm, you, you, and you, you're in my clique. The mean girl's philosophy, okay? But I mean it's just human nature to just naturally kind of step back and just kind of get with us and ours and, and just kind of be. And it's not that we're specifically hating, we're just forgetting to love. And it can and it can be destructive and it's unhealthy as a body of Christ. And we have a tendency to buck the things that we're supposed to be about. I mean, when I look at my family, there are times when I just kind of want to get done with my household chores, you know? I just want to make sure um, I got all my receipts, and I want to make sure that the yard is mowed. I mean, we need to do those things. We, ne- we really need to do those things, I need to make sure that the bills are paid and the termite guy is supposed to come next week, and we need to make sure these things. But sometimes I need to be rattled and shaken a little bit, and you know, by Lauren, and she does that all the time. Um, just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, to be about the things that you're supposed to be about first. You know, am I loving my girls as I as I ought to? Am I being the example? Am I am I being a man of prayer? Am I being a man of grace? Am I being a man in the Word? Am I loving my wife as Christ has loved the church? And sometimes, if I'm caught up with with secondary things, you know that you know this is not new. We all do that. We need to be about the things that. We need to be about, and we need to be reminded of that. Now, Paul moves on in this text to verse 23. And this is Paul's benediction to the second half of the letter. He says, Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless, At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. The great thing about a benediction is a benediction is a final prayer, not just an ending prayer, not just a, hey, let's wrap this thing up because we're done teaching prayer, but a a benediction is saying, you have now received your instruction, now go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit because of the gospel to accomplish these things. So Paul is not saying here, do better. Do better. Do better. Just, just work harder. Do better. He ends with the Holy Spirit, and in the name of the gospel, saying, Now may the God of peace himself, drawing it back away from his list of instructions to you, saying that there's a combining in the process of sanctification, that it is your work, working in conjunction with God through his Holy Spirit to accomplish your sanctification, to accomplish the present form of your very salvation, that you do these things, but it is God who is at work in you to do them. So now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and your whole soul and your whole body, even your physical body, be kept blameless, which is the completion of sanctification at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he is coming again. He just finished teaching about that. Jesus is coming again. All of this is going to burn. All of it. And Jesus is coming again. So let that be on your heart and your mind. That's why you're doing these things. And as you do the things that you're called to do, as you're about the things that you're supposed to be about, it is the God of peace who will work out your sanctification and bring you to completeness at the day of Jesus Christ, which is coming. So be aware. And then verse 24, I love verse 24. It says, for he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. So don't look at yourself. Don't look at your own will, even. But he who calls you is faithful, and he will not call you to do something that you cannot do. God isn't in that business. He isn't dangling something out there and saying, hey, come on, come on, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, oh. He, if he's calling you, he's enabled you. And he's faithful. And he will do it. That's the gospel. That when, when we trust Christ and, we, and, and that relationship is fixed, it is not just a one and done moment, but it begins a process that we call sanctification where the Holy Spirit is present and active in your heart, your soul, and your mind. Paul ends with another couple commands it's kind of a final final instruction he very simply says brothers pray for us drawing attention that he is not um divine that he needs to be prayed for as well verse 26 he says greet all the brothers with a holy kiss that is not something we do anymore (laughs) um And it is very simply speaking of a greeting of somebody in which you have a special relationship. And that special relationship is the body of Christ. That we interact and we greet each other differently than we do with unbelievers. There have been a few times in my life when I have run into somebody in random places, maybe even in other countries, where we have found that we are both believers. And when we depart, I'm confident I will never see that person again until you know and there's something more there and we kind of lose that because we're kind of around each other a lot but there's a specialness in our interactions here because we are part of the same family verse 27 paul says very strongly i put you under oath before the lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and this is just a showing of how paul fully believes that though he is not divine He is writing scripture that is inspired by God himself. And we could go into a whole other lesson of how we see other examples from the Old Testament of Paul's writing being identified as scripture. Alongside the Old Testament. So he is saying, I'm putting you under oath. Don't just take this letter, but read it before the brothers. I'm putting you under oath to do so. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you as he ends his letter. So be encouraged as Paul is encouraging his audience to be about the things that we're called to be about, to love the brothers and sisters in Christ, to listen to the leaders that God is holding accountable to you in the local body of Christ. And be encouraged in the gospel because he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your holy word. I thank you that we have the body of Christ. And I thank you, Father, we have community community. And Father, specifically, I thank you that we have sweet community here within the young adults. And I ask that you would help us to grow in that, in the name of the gospel, for our own growth, for your glory. And Father, for the the spreading of your kingdom on this earth, in Jesus' name.